Oh, good morning, everyone. It is a privilege to uh, be with you and sharing this morning. Um, first off, I would, did want to clarify one thing. Dave mentioned hatchet throwing up in the upper parking lot. That is not like dodgeball, okay? There is, there is a target, all right? It'll be one at a time, uh, but it will not be dodgeball. You do not come in teams of two, and it's not last man standing wins, okay? I just wanted to throw that out there, okay? Thank you. No pun. Yeah, I thought I needed to clarify that very quickly. Uh, Ryan, there are no hard feelings whatsoever. I, uh, I do understand you wanted to choose me, but your wife works for Pastor Nathan, so you were, <coughs> you were, you were stuck in what you were, that was a bad dilemma that you were put in. So I apologize for that dilemma that you were put in, but no hard feelings whatsoever. Um, also, just so you know, you know, it's one of those scenes sometimes the two teams play. It's like, man, nine out of 10 teams, that te- but there's that one. T- you saw the one time <laughs> that that video would not have been the other way around. So thank you, Nathan, for taking it slightly easy on me out there. Um, and Nathan, or uh, Isaiah, just come up and pray for Isaiah. His voice is gone. It's, it's, very, it's, it's very peaceful. It's very joyful for the rest of us. But um, <laughs> it's... It's, it is a little weird. It's like he's in meetings now, we're talking, and it's like watching him go through puberty. It's like sad. So it's just, we be praying for him uh, that his voice comes back. So uh, anyway, I poke fun at Isaiah. It's my spiritual gift. And, um, but he does a fantastic job. So I appreciate him putting up with, with me. So I, I said, I made a joke about their literally joke, trying to stay humble, you know, after winning this, this video. And I couldn't help it because I was told earlier, I said, hey, if you get thirsty up there, there'll be a water bottle waiting for you on the stage. They, they left Pastor Nathan's water bottle up here for me. So I saw where I instantly rank. It's not, a, they couldn't even put a fresh bottle out for me. It was like, enjoy Nathan's leftover spittle if you get thirsty. So I was like... Yeah, I think I'll go with, oh, I think you got what, DeSanti, whatever, or, and I got Walmart. Excellent. All right. So all the way around, it's, it's all good. It's all good. This morning, uh, this morning, or, or actually yesterday, um, did have the privilege of coming in uh, a little early. I told Isaiah and the guys. I was going to help set up, and then we just had a great time at lunch with, uh, what, with my son and uh, father-in-law and brother-in-law. And we actually came in late, and they were already done, and they did great, and we would have just gotten in the way. So I came in here just to get a little bearings for what it would be like to speak this morning, and it was a very powerful reminder as I came in here on all of these monitors for the speakers to see. They're, they're kind of standing... Um, I'll say screensaver, for lack of a better word. It just said, speak the truth, speak the truth. And it was just a powerful reminder that there is great expectation that if you're behind this pulpit or on this stage declaring the word of God, that it will be the truth. And we were blessed last night, and thank you, Pastor Nathan, for declaring the truth of God's word that we were challenged with in this issue of reflecting, waiting, with hopeful 
anticipation, you know, as we first started talking about <clears throat> these four sessions, when I, when I was thinking, be watchful, it was kind of that whole idea of, hey, remember, um, uh, you know, take heed of what, you've, of what you've been taught, what you've been heard. Some of you have been saved since you were a little itty-bitty, and for your entire lives, you've heard the principles of God's word, and, and all of the things of God's word, and it's one of those things, when I think, be watchful, it's almost that reminder of, keep thinking back, keep thinking back, but here's the issue with that. I love what the genuine and the truth of the entirety of that is, yes, remember back, but look forward with great hope and anticipation because there's more to come. It's just not all about the knowledge that we have that you're to remember and live in, but it's that hopeful expectation of what God is also going to do. It's a fantastic reminder, challenge from last night, and I hope that all of you have had time in conversation or in time with the Lord last night or this morning. Uh, to take time and reflect and to call upon the Lord and seek him. And uh, I know if I would have been running this morning at 6.15 up in the mountain, I would have been calling out to the Lord a lot. But in all seriousness, I hope you've had time to process and call upon the Lord. I want to talk, talk and begin to this shift of reflect was the first aspect of our three-part theme. Moving to this, this other aspect here of reset <clears throat> and we're going to talk about reset in both of our sessions this morning and this evening. And, and as we chose even that, uh, as Pastor Nathan addressed it last night, and it's the logo of everything that we're, we're doing and branding is this issue of a compass. And I just loved the imagery of using the compass as we, as we calibrate or, or reflect on where we are at or we recalibrate our direction. And I was thinking, what really is the definition of Calibrate. Um, because we use the word, we think we know what it means, but there were some very interesting words in this. It's like to standardize something by determining the deviation from a standard so as to ascertain the proper correction factors. So to standardize. The second one is to adjust precisely for a particular function. And the last one it says to measure precisely to measure against a standard. You know that our prayer... For all of this weekend, I know the planning team, I know Pastor Nathan and myself, I know our prayer for this weekend is that we would recalibrate our lives to the preciseness of God's word, or the preciseness to the truth of God's word, to measure our lives not against just any standard, but to measure our lives against the perfect standard. We get caught up too often measuring ourselves against imperfect standards to make ourselves feel better. And we need to measure ourselves against. If you guys remember the illustration Pastor Rob gave last night, even as he's talking through and leading us through that prayer time, and the bottom line to it is, and we do the same thing, and I'm guilty of it, we basically go, here's the perfect standard. Ah, close enough. Close enough. I'm better than them. I'm better than him. I'm doing better than my wife. I can hold that over her head. Close enough. Guys, it should never be close enough. We need to measure our lives precisely. We need to measure our lives precisely against the truth of God's word, the never wavering truth of God's word to see if we have drifted. You know, it is natural to have drift in our lives, is it not? It's absolutely natural. Navigation drift that needs to be fine 
tuned, you know, in, in looking at this and studying and, and, and uh, looking into a compass and settings. And, and I learned something that most of you, most of you guys are going to be like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, everyone should know that. Why you don't at almost 50 years old is a little shocking. But here's, what, here's something I learned. that Do you know that magnetic North Pole actually moves? All you guys are like, yeah, moron. We all knew that. Thank you. Some of you guys are really excited to bob your head up and down and make me feel even worse than I already do for not knowing that ahead of time. Magnetic north moves. I was, I was, I was surprised to learn that. I always thought you pick up a compass, it hits north, you're like, that's the North Pole. Not even close. That's magnetic north. And, and this geographic, geographical north does not move. But magnetic North Pole moves. It moved, and I was, I was looking into this, it, has, um, it moved approximately 30 kilometers last year and is approximately 400 kilometers from the geographical North Pole. I mean, I'm looking north, and you, it's generally in that direction. But I said that to Pastor Nathan, thinking I was like, hey, did you know? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's something called magnetic declination. I was like, oh, I forgot in your aviation classes and scuba classes that you probably figured that out. Anyway, sorry. I think I shared that with Dave too, and he's an aviation guy. He was like, oh yeah. But for those of you who didn't know, just pretend I'm the only one. You'll feel better about yourselves. But here's the issue though about this drift and thinking about that in this resetting and having that compass, I am so thankful that as we talk about resetting, that we are not trying to tweak and fine-tune our lives on a regular basis to something that's moving. But we're desiring to reset our lives and focus onto something that does not move, that has not moved, that never will move, and that is the truth of God's word, that is the person of Jesus Christ. And, and we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice that this isn't a guessing game. This isn't, a, this isn't something that we have to do mathematical formulas and, and figuring to make sure that we line up with what the compass is saying versus the geographical and figure out the declination and do all of those things that we can look at the truth of God's word and it's the truth yesterday, today, and forever. So we're gonna continue our look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 and if you guys even want to say it out loud with me, it's simple. We should be able to memorize it over this weekend. And it's this, it is, say it with me, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. This morning we're going to talk about stand firm in the faith as we Reset. You know, as I was looking into that phrase, stand firm in the faith, I looked, I looked at the Greek to see what these words and phrases meant and, and, and what I came to understand in reading others and, and uh, what they were saying about that is this phrase, stand firm. Those first two words can also be translated or understood to mean continue to be in. Continue to be in. And I love looking at that because when we think stand firm, you can think of a whole bunch of things probably come to your mind. But then you look a little deeper, you look at it, and when I hear stand firm, and it reminds, and then I also say, hey, the Greek could also be translated this or mean this, it continue to be in. It's that reminder of to be all in, continuously to be in. 
This is not just standing around doing nothing. This is, a, this is an active, ongoing effort to stand firm, continue. To continue to be in, to not drift, but to hold your ground continuously. You know what made me think of? Have any of you all been, ever been in the ocean? Ever been in the ocean? Yes. And what do you do sometimes, especially when the kids were littler, you know, they're in this like more shallow thing, so they're not swept out there and you're standing there and maybe water's knee deep or, or maybe even hip deep and you kind of, you're digging in a little bit and what's happening? You're being pummeled by these waves, especially if it's pretty, pretty active day. And all of a sudden, so you're getting rocked back one way by the waves and then what's happening to your feet? The undertow or the current is being swept out. So you're being pummeled up top and your, your footing is being eroded at the same time. And all you're trying to do is what? Stand firm. And it's taking continual effort. It's taking continual effort to keep your balance. It's taking continual effort to try to keep on solid something. It's being continual effort not to be knocked down, knocked off course, pushed to the side, or swept away. Be, be pulled under. And spiritually speaking, I think sometimes I feel the same exact way. I'm standing firm. And the culture is just wave after wave after wave after wave. And the complaints are wave after wave. And the heartache is wave after wave. And the frustration is wave after wave. And the losses and the grief and all of these things are just pounding you. Me. And then as I'm standing trying, standing firm, what do I also feel? My foundation is just being eroded and Satan is attacking and trying to cut me off and trying to loosen that foundation and pounding and undertow and pounding and undertow. And there's most days that I feel like, God, can I just catch a break? Can, I just, can it just be easy to stand firm today? Can I have a break? I want to follow you, but it'd be so easier not to, is what it feels like. But that, that constant pounding, and that's where stand firm, continue. So you guys, if we're going to stand firm, it has to be with the mindset of, this second, I'm going to continue. This second, I'm going to continue. This moment, this day, this, I skipped it. Hour, this day, this week, this year, this life, I'm going to continue. Because the moment we stop fighting to continue is the moment we get swept away. If we look at the phrase, in the faith, so we have stand firm, continue to be in, and then in the faith. And if you look at that and what it's translated or what it could be, it's, it's also, it can be what can be believed. I love that phrase. And you, would, you put these two phrases together, it's basically, it says, continue to be in what can be believed. It's, it's a powerful, it's, it, 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 uh, it like narrows it down. Because we can say, gentlemen, stand firm in the faith. Woo! And we walk out and we have 120 definitions of what we're supposed to do. And what I'm telling you is when I say stand firm in the faith, what I'm challenging you to do is continue to be in what can be believed. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what can be believed? Back up one chapter, Pastor Nathan briefly touched on it. 
last night, and I thought he was going to take a large portion of what I was going to share, but he, he touched on it briefly. I was very thankful that I didn't have to rework my message last night. 1 Corinthians 15, if you back up. One chapter. And he set the stage last night saying Corinth was in a mess, the church. And here you have the, 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 the Apostle Paul, and he's laying all of this out. And then he's getting to the end of the, uh, of the book, the end of the chapter. And if you've ever written letters, and sometimes at the end, you're like, you, you, you just want to, sometimes you do this with your kids. It's like the end of the conversation or the, or the end of the time it, that they're in your home or the end of that letter. And you want to like, oh, everything I forgot for 17 years, let me dump on you the last month you're in the house. Right? And here's the letter and it's all of these things. And he's like, hey, what's most important? What do I leave with them? What do I dump onto them that if they miss everything else, they don't miss this. And 1 Corinthians 15 starts in verse one. If you're there, please follow. It says, now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Listen, the gospel is to be believed. The word stand there in verse one also has this meaning, of, it means to be put. And I thought about this, it's like when I put something somewhere, I expect it to be there, right? And sometimes if your wife comes in behind you and cleans it and you come and you're like, I can't find anything right now. I put it right there. And you expect it to be right there. And Paul is saying, hey, the gospel is which you stand. The gospel is where you are to be put. That's where, to, where you are to put yourself and to stay. So verse 1 says that we are to believe the gospel and stay put in it. But this is stand firm in the faith. The question there is, or the challenge is, what can be believed? So we have to ask, can the gospel be believed? Can the entirety of the truth of the gospel be believed? And you look at verse three and four, and really, quite honestly, the rest of the chapter, Pastor Nathan mentioned some portions of the rest of the chapter last night, but focus on verse three and four, and it says this, Paul clarifies the gospel and what it is. And, and listen, some of you might be like, is he really gonna talk about the gospel for a few minutes? Listen, if you don't get this right, if I don't get this right, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you don't not only believe this, but live it, it doesn't matter. So if you don't start in the foundation of resetting, you're missing the entire mark of what you're to reset to in the first place. So verse three and four says, Paul, here, this is what he says. This is what he clarifies. For I delivered to you as of first important what I also received and here he's just going to tell us the gospel summarized first importance number one thing and this is what you stand in and this is what it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures listen the gospel let's not overcomplicate it let's not do anything to it except it is of most importance and it is the life the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ let's not overcomplicate the message 
Let's not get crazy with trying to figure out every technique and tool and all of that stuff to tell others of the life-changing gospel. Yes, those things are necessary at times, and they're great to have in your bag to try to talk to different people and relate to different people. But if that's all we have without the power of the gospel in this one sentence, it doesn't matter how many tools you got in the tool bag. If you miss this, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. It changes everything. It's the most important. And then Paul does something else here, which I love, in verses five through eight. Remember, it says, in the faith, it's what can be believed. Paul is basically saying here, you know what? You need to stand in. You need to stand in the gospel. And you know what? You can believe it. Why? Because in verses 5 through 8, I'm going to tell you about the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection. And he goes on throughout the remainder of the chapter doing the same thing. But verse, I don't have enough time to go through the entire 58 verses of this chapter. But verses 5 through 8, he says this. You want proof of the resurrection? That Christ uh, uh, conquered death, where he conquered death, where he changed everything. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. He says, you want proof of the resurrection? He appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive and then to me. And you know what? Super quick. We blow through that phrase every so often, most of whom are still alive. Why did he put that in there? You know, I take great comfort in that little phrase. You know why? Because when this was written... This was written such a short time after Christ actually did resurrect from the dead and did appear to these people. Paul says, if you don't believe me, go find the almost 500 people that saw him and ask them. And there's nothing like eyewitness testimony. Don't take my word for it. Talk to him. Talk to him. Talk to her. Talk to that family. Talk to, they were there. They saw him. They interact with him. He's alive if you don't believe me. It's a powerful, powerful statement. It's an incredible thing that he just didn't appear to one at a time to where I say, oh, they're lying. They, they, they were so distraught. They had a little bit of a delusion. I know he appeared to the 12, but they were so distraught. They would have seen anything and called it Jesus. 500? Most of whom that are still alive. I mean, not now, obviously, but back then. This is powerful. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is believable. And because it's believable, we can stand firm. If you look with me at the end of the chapter, like I said, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but verse 58. At the end of this chapter, it concludes with a, with a victory proclamation of Jesus conquering death. And we're again reminded, it says in verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. Be steadfast, stand firm, continue in, be put in place. 
And the reason he says that, be steadfast and immovable, because it comes right after he says, death is swallowed up. The sting of death is no more. The law no more, uh, no longer condemns us because Jesus conquered sin. He conquered death and he satisfied the demands of the law and we are victorious in Christ. So because of that, be steadfast and immovable. See, it doesn't mention anything about talents, gifts, abilities, how long you've been a Christian, any of those things. You are stand, you stead, you are, sorry, you stand firm or can be steadfast and immovable because of what Christ did. And that's it. So it doesn't matter how we feel today or yesterday or tomorrow. As much as, as much as I just want to say, you know what? Feelings are great, but they don't matter. What matters is what Christ did. And if we're going to stand firm in the faith, we've got to not only know that, we've got to live that. Embrace it. Believe it. And let it change everything that we're at. So we stand firm in the faith. We continue to be in what can be believed, and it's the gospel, the salvation truth that's in the scriptures, the entirety of the biblical truth, the sound doctrine that's contained within God's word, the principles of God's word. And then Paul doubles down later on this in Philippians 1.27. If you want to look there, that's fine. If not, let me read it to you here. And it says this. He says this to the church of Philippi. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's like both guys wrote the same thing they did and what was their focus? Gospel of Jesus Christ so you can stand firm. What are you standing firm in the gospel? And Paul here is contending for the Philippians to stand firm in one spirit and in one mind. So, so, so that, that, that is the one spirit that you receive at salvation. And he's saying, stand firm in that, the Holy Spirit. Stand firm so that you can be united in heart and mind and belief and everything that comes from that stability of resting completely in the entire work of what Jesus Christ has done. Paul is contending with them that they do this so that they can stand side by side. They can lock arms, as it were, and contend for the faith. Why? Because they're steadfast and immovable in the gospel. I played some sports throughout my life. And I don't know if any of you have ever played a sport that required you to have reliable help alongside of you. I, I played, I, I was just a, a grunt and big, so they put me on the offensive and defensive line. And you had to have some help. And what you needed was it didn't matter how well at right tackle you blocked. If, if your left tackle was a clumsy oaf, you, you got crushed from the backside. And some of you might be able to relate from a standpoint of in military or armed services, how comfortable would you be on the field with someone that's unstable beside you and unreliable and not standing firm in the heat of the conflict? 
And spiritually speaking, uh, you have to ask, are, are you reliable then that I could link arms with you and we can stand firm together? Are you reliable for, for your wife, for your family? Are you stable in that regard, spiritually speaking, that they can count on you and rely on you and strive side by side with you? Listen, I'm not just talking about even believing it this morning. I'm not, I'm not just talking about this, this head knowledge belief, but to rest in our spiritual walk is to believe this and live it, embrace it, run with it. To reset spiritually is to reset the proper way of living out what you accurately believe concerning Christ and our salvation. Please understand that. To reset spiritually is to reset the proper way of living out what you accurately believe concerning Christ and our salvation. Listen, I'm, we're not asking you to reset to some philosophy or some make you feel good stuff. The challenge for all of us, starting with me, is to reset to what is accurate in the truth of God's word. I'm gonna look at another one of the disciples this morning. In each of our sessions, we're gonna look at one disciple who brings out these points a little bit and what we have learned from them. <clears throat> we're gonna look at the, excuse me, disciple Thomas this morning. And you know, as I was thinking about this lesson and standing firm, a recurring thought really kept coming to me. And, and that is, that, it, it, it's, that was mentioned this morning, even that's always easy to stand firm when things are going pretty well. It, it's, it's relatively easy. When our faith is not being attacked, when our wife and our family, when those we love and our friends and those around us are doing well and things are going pretty well with our health or with work or with ministry or whatever you're involved in, when those are going pretty well, it's like standing firm for the Lord. But how do we stand when life is just kicking in our teeth? How do we deal with that? Where's our heart? Where's our mindset? When wave after wave after wave after wave is just pounding us and eroding our foundation. In John 20, we see a story of a man that has literally just had his world cave in. And he wasn't alone in this caving in of his entirety in his entire world, but, but he alone was the one that expressed some, as it were, some serious doubts that were recorded here in scripture because we know him as kind of his nickname, which is Doubting Thomas. He's like, ooh, bad Thomas. Okay? Doubting Thomas. He was not standing firm. He was not continuing to be in what could be believed because as far as he could tell, with everything that was bombarding him and everything that had just happened and everything that was going on, in his mind, he had just concluded that it was not to be believed by the way he was living it out. And most of you know the backdrop to this message or to this passage here in John 20. But in John chapter 19, the previous chapter, uh, tells of Christ, he, the disciples, the, the, I mean, the disciples' master and teacher, the one whom they had given up everything to follow. The one that they had chased all over the place, that they had been threatened, that they had been abused, that they had been uh, all of those things for three years. They were following him. They had given up everything, and they, they, they saw him being delivered over to be crucified. 
And then it talks of the illegal trial. It talks of his conviction. It talks of his beatings. It talks of his crucifixion, his, or his conviction earlier, his beatings, his crucifixion, his, and then his burial. And the disciples then all find themselves holed up altogether for fear that they were next. And you don't think their world had just caved in? Everything that they believed was now on the line. Everything that they had been taught, everything that they gave up, all of the mocking, all of the leaving family, all of those things was on the line. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of more stress than that. And then the resurrection day happens. And first, Mary Magdalene saw the empty tomb. And then she comes back and gives report. And then John outran Peter to the tomb, if you remember that story. And they saw the empty tomb. And then the Lord appears to Mary. And then she went and told the disciples that she saw the Lord. And then in John 20, verses 19 through 23, this is just a fantastic passage. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were. Why? For fear of the Jews. Remember their world that just caved in? Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. them. If any withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I mean, wow. Wow. What an incredible sight that would have been. What an incredible thing. Sitting in fear, sitting in despair behind these locked doors, only to have Christ appear in their midst and he greets them with peace. And what is the answer to all stress, anxiety, worry? Christ's peace. And he says, peace. I'm here. No need to worry. I'm alive. And then we see he lets them see his hands and see his side, and then it says that the disciples were glad. Could I just possibly say that that's probably the most understatement of the world of this passage, glad? Really, they only could come up with glad? I mean, it also could mean delighted, but but I think more like ecstatic, relieved beyond their wildest imaginations, or in awe, something, but they got glad. But let's not get caught up too much on that. Anyway, look at verse 24 and 25. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into into his side, I will never believe. He, he was in crisis. But you want to talk about the worst timing ever to go out for a falafel. <laughs> All 11 in the room locked in fear. Thomas, guys, I'm going to run out and get some food. Maybe, right? It doesn't say. But why wasn't he there? It doesn't say. He just wasn't there. He just wasn't there. Thomas was not there. And when he returned, can you imagine what he heard? Thomas, where were you? You won't believe what happened. 
We saw Jesus. It was awesome. We were all locked up in here, scared, and then bam, Jesus is right in the middle of us, and we were like, what? But we were only glad. (laughs) And then, and then Thomas, he showed us his hands, and he showed us his side. He's alive, Thomas. He is alive. And how did Thomas respond? Did he drop to his knees in praise and prayer and rejoice for the testimony of his brothers that he had been with for three years and take their word for it and their experience and their interaction with Christ and their interaction of Christ was good enough for him? Nope. It made him angry. I, I, I think, I, maybe I shouldn't say it. He doubted. I think he was probably angry or frustrated. We'll use that word. That's a nice way of saying angry. He's frustrated that he missed Jesus. And he declares, I will never believe unless not only you guys got to see it. See, it doesn't say that the other disciples got to touch and and feel and all this other stuff. He said, unless I not only see it, but unless I put my fingers in it and my hand in the side, I will never, I want more than what you guys got. That's what it's going to take to convince me. Thomas was taking what those disciples shared and he was just doubling it. He was adding to it. And Thomas was not stable. Thomas was not stable in his faith by any means. And listen, there was nothing his friends could do to soothe him. They gave testimony. They gave accurate report of who Christ was and his power and his godness and all of those things. They told him of those things and yet that would not change anything. He still felt lost. He was still confused, angry, doubting, not stable. And there was only one thing that could resolve it for him. There was only one thing. And please understand this as you guys hear this. There's only one thing that can resolve your, as it were, spiritual instability. Your spiritual doubt, your spiritual anxiety. And it's not friends. It's not pastors. It's not ministry partners. It wasn't his family. It's not something good happening in your life. The only thing that can resolve any of that is an encounter with Jesus Christ an encounter with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Listen, did you, did, seriously, did, did you catch that? When we doubt, when we have anxiety, when we have fear, we do too much of this looking sideways of who is going to help fix me. And the only one, don't take this wrong, can somebody help point you in the right direction? Yes, but if they're not pointing you to Jesus Christ, it will not resolve anything. It's only an encounter with Jesus Christ. Verse 26 and 27. It is only fixing our eyes on the Lord, but look what happens here in verses 26 and 27. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them and said, again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And again, Guys, again, the disciples locked behind closed doors. Christ appears to them, addresses them with peace, eases their anxieties, eases Thomas's doubt and anxieties and anxiousness. And here's two things that jump out at me on these two verses that I want to share with you that I think we can take from application today. And here's the two things. The first is this. Jesus answered everything for Thomas exactly as Thomas needed it to be met. No one else could have done it. But see, when he appeared to the other disciples, he said, look, look. And when he came to Thomas, he said, look, 
But Thomas, I know what you need, touch. You declared you needed to see and to touch and to place, do it. And he's basically saying, evaluate me as God. Evaluate me as the risen savior that died for you. And I would say, guys, you know what? God needs, knows exactly what you need. Evaluate him. Search his godness. See him for who he really is. The compassionate savior that has great expectations for you. That wants to hold you or does hold you to a high bar of holiness and of seeking him. And if you doubt, where is God in this? Seek him out and you'll find your needs met. The other thing is this. Verse 26 starts out by saying, eight days later. You know, for eight days, Christ let Thomas, what, flounder? For eight days, he let Thomas kind of flap in the wind, as it were. Thomas was left in that state of confusion, frustration, anxiety, despair, unbelief for eight days. Why didn't Christ come back earlier? He could have. Why didn't he help Thomas out earlier? He could have because he needed that to believe. I have no idea why. Don't know the answer to it. It's not declared in here in scripture. But maybe Thomas needed that time to learn some lessons. Maybe he needed that time to learn the lessons he needed to. And I don't know why it took eight days, but these these two things I do know. That our timing is not the Lord's timing. Our timing is not the Lord's timing. I wish God worked on my time scale. That'd be a detriment to all of you, but it would make things easier for me. And the other thing I know is that he knows our deepest needs far better than we will ever. Far better than we will ever know them, he knows our deepest needs. You know, you know Peter didn't have to declare to the Lord, unless I see, touch, feel, and place. He already knew that before he arrived in that room that day. Because he knows all. His timing is not our timing, but he knows our deepest needs far better than we ever will. Lastly, verse 28 and 29 says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you guys, when the encounter with Christ happened, it answered all the questions immediately and the response was, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. My master, my savior, my teacher. What's my questions? I forgot. It's you. What's my needs? I don't even remember. It's you. What's my complaints? I don't have any. My eyes are focused on you. My Lord and my God. Thomas saw Jesus' heart, his character, his godness. Thomas took his eyes off of his self. He took his eyes off of, woest me, I wasn't there the first time to see him. He took his eyes off of himself and he totally put them on his savior. And guys, for us to reset, we need to do the same thing. We need to have our eyes totally on our savior so even when it feels like the compass of our life is pointing in the wrong direction, we can stand firm and still move forward. We need to have our eyes totally on our Savior because the right direction of our life might take us through some rough terrain or even a swamp and we can continue on and 
be continuing on to be in what can be believed, even through rough, rough terrain. Guys, we need to have our eyes totally on our Savior because God's timing and direction is not our timing and direction. And when we have our eyes on him, we continue to be in what, we, what can be believed. And guys, lastly, our hearts cannot be trusted. Our emotions can be manipulated. Our feelings can be overwhelmed. Our strength can be sapped. Our world can feel like it's imploding constantly. And that is why we must have our eyes on Christ so we can continue to be in what can be believed. Please join me in prayer. Father, we stand here before you, broken, hurting, in need of you. And Father, may we, may we reset to stand firm. May we bring honor and glory to you as we stand firm in what can be believed. Thank you for conquering death and sin and giving us the victory and may we go out from here ready to live what we say we believe. And we ask this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.